The Jags spent $250 million in the offseason, and sentiment is brewing hot. Are they playoff bound in an otherwise weak division? Now, the Colts haven't won the South since 2014, despite being division favorites almost every other year. Does Matt Ryan move the needle? We'll discuss all that on today's market outlook for the AFC South. It's the opening bell. Alrighty, so we have a fresh face on this episode. Monty, who are you? Why are you here? <laughs> How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. I do a Packers podcast, but I am a huge fan of football in general. You can find me primarily on Twitter. My handle is Atford Turgeson, and that is in homage to the late, great Norm MacDonald, who was on Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Um, yeah, and we grew up together in the suburbs of Chicago. He's a huge Packers fan. I am still a Bears fan. I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> Bears fan the same way I was, especially since the franchise is just going downhill fast. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Judah, once again, regular contributor, uh, providing great insights on every episode. So let's preview the division. First, looking at what those 2022 win total futures look like. We have their alt high uh, win total and their alt low win total here. We can see uh, the odds for the for any team from this division to win the Super Bowl is at plus 1,200, which is right near the bottom, uh, actually close uh, with the NFC East, which is also plus 1,200. So we have the Colts expected to win 10, the Titans 9, the Jaguars 6.5, Texans 4.5. Again, I think it's pretty unanimous that this is one of the worst divisions in football. Not a ton to like here. A lot of kind of underground support, especially from the betting community, coalescing around the Jaguars this offseason. I'm not too hot on the Colts. I don't think Matt Ryan is necessarily a huge upgrade over Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz got a lot of the negative publicity for some of their downfalls and then missing the playoffs when a lot was kind of going wrong. The O-line is breaking down. The defense is breaking down. And of course, Carson Wentz didn't look great, but I don't think Matt Ryan is the savior. And then the Titans are never sexy pretty much any year, but they keep kind of exceeding expectations year over year. And then there's the Texans still in rebuilding mode, but certainly better than they were last year when it was very clear that they were explicitly blowing up the team. And it was much easier to kind of bet the under on the Texans last year. But that's not the case this year. Monty, what, what do you see from, from some of these angles? Anything kind of stick out to you? I mean, I definitely think, I, I think that Jaguars number, to be honest, is right online where it should be. They're really, really talented. I think that you get a coaching upgrade automatically because you no longer have Urban Meyer there. I, I think Trevor Lawrence has, you know, if he has a good second year, they do have a good amount of weapons for them. And in that weak division, they'll all cannibalize each other a little bit because they're, they're all in a state of flux. I mean, the, the Titans, they were the number one seed last year, sure, but I think we can all agree that was a little fraudulent. The Colts going to another rent-a-quarterback. They're hoping the Matt Ryan experience works out better than the Carson Wentz one did. And then the Texans are the team that I think will overperform their number because when you have a team that everyone just assumes is going to be one of the worst, I mean, that 
what that always galvanizes a team, right? Like they're going to be determined to not be the absolute worst. And they got a coaching upgrade too, because I think Lovey Smith still has something in the tank, even though a lot of other people don't. No, those are great points. And actually, I think very salient observation is this kind of moving to the middle. And yeah, so probably a lot of cannibalism within this division over the course of the season. What do, what do you think, Judah? Yeah, I love the, the cannibalism points within the division. Uh, I just, I can't hammer the Titans under enough, especially the all Thunder. I mean, there are 12 teams in the AFC, 12, that have win totals at eight and a half or better. All of those teams, especially the ones that Titans play, including the AFC West, where we've got the Raiders, uh, the Broncos, the Chargers, they all got better. Tennessee got a lot worse. Our throws to A.J. Brown uh, was essentially the entirety of Tennessee's passing offense last year. He accounted for 89% of the expected points uh, when Tennessee threw the ball. They lost him. Everyone else around them is getting better. And they got a lot worse. I think what's tough about fading the Titans is I pretty much do it every preseason. <laughs> uh, and I keep losing money because they don't ever necessarily kind of put together a sexy team. Maybe last year was the sexiest team that, that they had put together since they kind of brought in Julio Jones. They suffered so many injuries last year, exceeded so many expectations. Yeah, obviously, were they the best team in the AFC? I think it's, it's very clearly not. But the what I'm cautious about the, the Titans is, is simply because they don't look the part, which they don't look at again this year, doesn't mean that this team just doesn't kind of put it together. Tannehill definitely had a down year last year, certainly relative to 2020. I mean, are you writing him off, Judah? Like what exactly besides the loss of AJ Brown gives you conviction around wanting to fade the Titans this year? Yeah, I think the Titans are basically the same team they were last year, maybe minus a game for AJ Brown. I think he really makes a huge difference to the team, but it's less about the Titans than it is everyone else. They're in a loaded AFC and their opponents are getting a lot better. Right? They're not going to have the same easy schedule that they will last year. And I think to your point about the cannibalism, the market's almost building in that the Jaguars and Texans are going to be terrible. And I think that that's unwarranted. Uh, these teams are likely uh, to steal a couple games here when the market is not pricing that in. So just add up all the opponents and Tennessee might be kind of the same team, but everyone else around them has gotten a lot better. Yeah, I think that's great points. I think my favorite bet probably also would actually be the Texans over four and a half. I don't know if I like the five and a half because when you're this low in pretty much every episode, I'm always angling into an alt because we've done some research definitely shows that if you have high conviction, kind of just leaning into the alt, it's definitely a plus EV play. I don't have super high conviction here, <laughs> but I think that the difference between four and a half and five and a half on a bad team is is quite meaningful yeah your, your um, margin your margin for error there is a lot lower with a team that's expected to have such little talent contributing exactly uh, some other research that i did and something that i want to share on pretty much every division preview now kind of moving forward is just take a step back and look at what did these teams offensive lines look like especially from a market perception perspective so these rankings basically put together uh pff rankings four for four football outsiders sharp football 3013 fantasy pros ftn and then a little wrinkle from the madden 2023 player ratings uh to kind of give you again this proxy for how the market is positioning around their evaluations of every team's offensive line uh, and we can see that the Colts certainly have the best offensive line in the division just outside the top 10. Uh, PFF has them in the top 10, has upgraded them about two spots relative to last year, uh, bringing back three out of five offensive linemen. 
the Colts offensive line has always kind of been touted as a strength of this team, but they I feel like they kind of continually disappoint, especially Yeah, they're getting by in reputation. To add some data to that, uh Right. The stuff we've been doing at PFF is looking at the perfectly blocked play rate. Uh, essentially, how often is the offense basically or offensive line really doing their job? They were actually fifth worst in the NFL on, on pass plays last year, uh, which for, for a unit that's ranked 11th uh, seems like a massive disparity. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're 15th in run blocking rate and perfectly blocked plays, which is good, but nothing really to write home about. Yeah, and there's a lot of turnover on that offensive line now this year as well. And I don't think that uh, the replacement players are better than what they were last year they also struggled with a lot of injuries last year so there's that uh but they certainly didn't upgrade from the quarterback position as far as a quarterback that's going to be more agile in a pocket that might be collapsing around them and then there's the jaguar saxons and titans all in the bottom 22 so roughly all kind of consistently together kind of just generally bad well and really Uh, and and the titans line being that bad is really not good for their offense they're derrick henry dependent so if, if they're if they're if they have an o-line that's expected to perform this badly that takes away a giant chunk of what they're supposed to be doing on offense in general yeah and we know that the surroundings are are as important if not maybe more important than who the running back is now yeah uh, derrick henry might be an outlier kind of like has a true like great running back skill set but with that major injury last year, I mean, that's usually a death wish for any running back that certainly who's already been in the league for as long as he has. I mean, he's already stayed well past his prime for like a typical running back who's in the league for two, three, maybe four years. And yeah. that's and that's and that's a normal running back, not one that is has a ridiculous amount of miles on him. Like they run him into the ground every year and he somehow before last year was able to take that abuse. And like, is this the first step in, you know, his body? not responding very well i mean you never know but it has to happen at some point yeah the, there's like a, a 1500 carry mark for running backs where you really start to see a decline and henry hit that right before he got hurt last year yeah i mean they've he's been a total workhorse basically grounded him into dust yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that might really show itself this year another thing that i want to call out is again because they the titans have had a better offensive line during those years and so kind of uh looking at a pff perspective I mean, they've dropped the Titans 11 spots this year. So that is a meaningful change. All right, so let's uh, dive into the team previews. Let's start with starting from the bottom with the Texans. So quick preview, a quick recap of 2021. So going into 2021, the win total futures were five. So similar to this year's, but actually a little bit elevated, which actually that kind of runs counter to kind of how we frame the narrative thus far, which is that you feel like this team is better than they were last year, but actually expectations are lower, maybe because they think that others in the division are better this year, maybe because of the Jags and Colts, et cetera. Uh, They ended up going under that lowly number of five, went four and 13 uh, overall, though eight and nine against the spread. So performed decently relative to market expectations for being uh, ostensibly a very bad team. Uh, a 100 unit uh, better betting on the spread and money line on every single game. Lost about 250 bucks, uh, which actually isn't bad for a team that went 4-13 and 13 if you're betting <laughs> yeah. the Texans every single week. It's a good reminder of uh, 
being being profitable as a better is about uh, understanding expectations and betting on that, not just betting the good teams for the bad. Yeah, exactly. And timing as well. Yeah. When are you kind of betting against these teams? So we can see that uh, they started off kind of was always waffling. You know, we're kind of looking at the, the power ranking volatility here on the screen. And we see that they basically waffled between 24th and 29th place averaged about 26 and a half to 27. So expectations never got super high in them and they kind of stayed relatively low over the course of the season. They started off two and zero against the spread, put together some pretty decent performances first, the Jags and then uh, the Browns. And that was with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, and then he got uh, hurt. Uh, and then in came Davis Mills, certainly struggled to yeah. start, but then put in some ad admirable performances. I know, Monty, you were saying that maybe you're a little bit higher on Davis Mills than you think kind of the way the market is positioned right now. I mean, I think you could argue that there was, I want to say maybe a th two or three-ish game period, maybe even four game period where he was the best of the rookie quarterbacks playing like the the team around him obviously is the, the texans overall are devoid of talent so they didn't win a lot of those games but there was a period where he was playing really really well yeah and also he was still a rookie and a rookie who was right. not expected to play yeah, yeah probably had the least effective weapons out of all the rookie quarterbacks this year i would bet that most people weren't aware that some of his quarterback ratings last year 128.5 130.6 106.3 141.7 and then another one at, at 95. so he had several very efficient to good games it's just they're playing teams much better than they are from an epa perspective mills you know again played very well versus the patriots in week five uh, and then closed the season again with some some good numbers uh, especially for a rookie versus the Jags, Chargers, closing again versus the Titans, and, and covering in all those games. In fact, the Texans covered, you know, three out of the last four games and by 20, 25, and, and over a touchdown. Yeah, about the Davis Mills point, especially towards the end of the season, I think it almost gets lost. Markets don't really price in necessarily uh, quarterback improvement. Uh, and something we kind of know is that quarterbacks are going to get better towards the end of the rookie season uh, or in year two. And the market's kind of pricing in Davis Mills as he was last year. And he wasn't good. Granted, given the context uh, and given that he was a rookie, he probably outperformed expectations, but he wasn't that good relative to the rest of the quarterbacks in the league. Mm -hmm. But I think it's safe to say he's going to be a little bit better. Quarterbacks get better in their second year. Uh, and the market is not not really pricing that in, even though we, we see towards the end of last year some real market improvement. Looking at the time-weighted uh, average margin. So again, this is a yeah. team that won four games, but on average, they were winning in six games. So of course we know that the open season crushed the Jags. Uh, they ended up losing to the Patriots, but played very competitive. I think they were up by like three touchdowns, or, or I guess we'd see they were up by 13 points. Yeah, it was point. a two score game. Yeah, uh, on average, they were winning that game by almost a touchdown. Uh, and then I think the Patriots basically came roaring back near the end. We can actually look at the win probability chart. Yes, and we can see that basically it collapsed all the way near near the end. They were on average winning by over a touchdown versus the Titans. They ended up winning that one. They were on average beating the Jets, which is a game that they ended up losing by a touchdown. Uh, and then, of course, be, being the Jaguars again. And then that really surprising one versus the Chargers, where the Chargers defense looked like complete crap. I know they were like suffering from COVID issues and things like that, but... Nonetheless, you should not get blown out <laughs> no. by, by the Texans. So 
how the Texans have evolved over the course of the offseason. Why do we think that they got better? So I think they definitely had a good draft. Uh, other than that, there wasn't a lot of notable signings. I think the big one of the biggest offseason moves, of course, is hiring of Lovey Smith. They just desperately need any sort of stability right now. And like Lovey Smith's a very stoic kind of, you know, he's respected, right? So they, they he, he very much looks like a, a head coach of a team that is like very run of the mill and nothing dramatic. And they don't have any other drama going on. And also, I mean, I don't think Lovey Smith necessarily has a super high ceiling, but I don't think he has a necessarily super low floor. So kind of moving on to, to 2022, we can kind of look at their season schedule and we see that they're underdogs in every single game. Again, win total futures at that four and a half. Strength of schedule, this is the, the tough wrinkle here, especially when it comes to trying to evaluate them from a win total futures perspective. Fifth hardest implied from the teams that they played and their expected win totals. Uh, our Pythag 2.0 model has no bet. Net rest, negative 10 days, mean spread, almost a full touchdown at six points. I think the Texans are going to be an awesome team to bet on this year. If the uh, the Texans are going to go over the four and a half, they're going to have to do it on like the front half of yeah. the season, first 10 weeks, because man, that's a tough close. So you yeah. got Cowboys, Chiefs away at Tennessee, and then closing away at the Colts. Yeah, closing so, closing the season with three divisional games. I, I I actually don't know how common that is in the schedules this year, but that seems. I mean, I we don't expect them to be playing for playoff position, but that's going to get really interesting in a lot of divisions where you know teams are going to have multiple playoff teams. All right, Jacksonville Jags, definitely the hottest team a lot of steam around the Jags and that was kind of the same narrative actually going into last year I think there was maybe some caveats I think some people were worried about Urban Meyer because there was already some kind of adversity already brewing in the preseason and in training camp but nonetheless the, the the expectations were similar to this year so at six they went way under only went three and fourteen uh, didn't do well versus spread either. Five and twelve lost a one hundred unit uh, uh, better six hundred dollars on the season. The Pythag wins kind of Pythag one is around three and a half. Our Pythag two model actually has it closer to six. So that was actually a large deviation. And maybe as we kind of go through this, we'll kind of see where some of that is stemming from. So we can see they started off miserably, actually performed pretty competitively versus this. Uh, in week three versus the cards. Uh, I remember that game very vividly because we had picked the cards in Survivor that week and they were down by like two touchdowns uh, into the third <laughs> quarter. Uh, oh, that was the game with the, the huge punt return, right? Like yeah. For the half. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was in Jacks that week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that was like the, the when you see those types of plays too, you're like, well, it's just going to be one of those weeks and Jags are going to beat us. <laughs> uh, came back and then they had that really tough game, Thursday night game versus the Bengals. They ended up losing it, but we're actually winning that game for most of, mm -hmm. I think they started off like 14 zip. And then again, started to play competitively over the courses from week six to week 14 uh, and kind of moved up the power rankings. But again, the power ranking kind of uh, range was still relatively tight between 27th and 32nd. So being dead last, 
They started off expected to be the worst team in the league. They, they stung around, kind of went around and kind of created some choppy volatility and then came right back down to where they were expected to be and kind of just like hung around in that 30, that 30 second range. And then of course, blowing the, the doors off the Colts in celebratory fashion to kind of, to, to kind of end the season. I don't know if they were preparing for that whole game all season, <laughs> uh, but that was definitely one of their better performances. Again, outside of that very weird one as well, mid season versus the bills. That was like, arguably the head scratcher game of the entire year yeah and it was more about the bills than yeah than the jags, than the jags. so we can kind of see this also from a game by game breakdown some of, some of these advanced stats uh we can see lawrence actually started every single game last year again this is I, I can see some of you know the positivity obviously a, a lot of optimism around him taking a big leap this year certainly with a more professional coaching staff could help provide some support there. But even when we look at his EPA numbers, I mean, I can see also this, this kind of supports some of those bullish theses because, I mean, we've looked at this a lot or, over a course of a lot of teams and even some of his worst performances are not anywhere close some of the really bad performances that we've seen from some quarterbacks. His worst game was kind of week three versus the Cardinals. And ever since then, I mean, he put in a relatively decent performances given kind of where where they stood yeah that i mean as I just mentioned his worst weeks were two and three and again we're starting to see a trend rookie quarterbacks towards the end of their uh, rookie season really starting to, to improve same thing with davis mills same thing here with trevor lawrence i think he's very good um i just think the the jaguars for sure have gone all out and being like we're gonna get our guy that we believe is the guy all the weapons he needs early you know they're, they're the ones that broke the wide receiver market and gave christian kirk 18 million dollars but i mean they have you don't want to say a second year guy doesn't have any excuses but it's it's hard to argue that he'll have this level of you know offensive talent all around him when they start actually paying him you know 40 million dollars a year kind of as we go on into the offseason changes one of the things i wanted to highlight here was 260 million <laughs> Yeah, in the offseason, yeah. like you're talking yeah. about breaking the wide receiver market on who? Christian Kirk. Christian like, Kirk. Yeah, who's <laughs> like the third wide receiver on the Cardinals? Yeah, and <laughs> it, and as soon as that, the Jags kind of are in that position where you're a bad team with a ton of money, so you're going to overspend. I think that's going to be felt more down the line than it will this year. And generally, when we see big free agent splurges. Uh, kind of comes to benefit the team in the first year and then it really diminishes afterwards i guess in their in their eyes they it's kind of a win-win right like we have the money to spend we're we're signing we're surrounding our young quarterback with talent and you know that that at least keeps the attention of the fans right like if you're a jags fan right now you're probably not walking away with it well they're not trying to win yeah I think it's it's a model example of what not to do in team building. But if we're just isolating this year, it certainly right. signals uh, we're here to win. Uh, and also, like they're going to be improved uh, at least free agent wise, uh, the roster from last year. But you know, kept this is the same GM, the same right. GM that hired Urban Meyer uh, <laughs> and made a lot of the decisions you know in the past. I, I think these moves are they don't necessarily move the needle, but how much was the needle going to move on Jacksonville in general? Also, I wonder the bounce back of James Robinson and Etienne, uh, obviously both coming off season ending injuries and, and yeah. Robinson's was kind of even later in the season. I think if this team does go over, 
they're six and a half, it's going to be because of the defense. And the defense is going to kind of surprise. Odds to win the division at plus 750. Odds to make the playoffs plus 450. Another thing I want to call out is this is actually the only the second bet that we've seen. Our Pythag 2.0 model is betting the Jags over six and a half. The first was under on the Bucks. So we look at elsewhere, kind of strength of schedule, 12th easiest schedule, net rest, negative three days with an average spread of four points. Correct. It's unfortunate for this whole division that we talk about they're probably the worst division in the league. They have to play what I would argue is the most talented division in the league. The AFC West could sweep the AFC South. Can we play a little game here? Go sure. through the first uh, couple of weeks of the season and project who we think is going to be a better quarterback. Uh, Trevor Lawrence or Carson Wentz? I'm taking Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence or Matt Ryan? I think Trevor Lawrence. Okay. I'll take Justin Herbert over Trevor Lawrence. Yep. Uh, Trevor Lawrence or Jalen Hurts? That's a push for me. I'm, I'm definitely strong on Trevor Lawrence. Though. Yeah. Okay. Trevor Lawrence or Davis Mills? Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence or Matt Ryan? Trevor I'll Lawrence, take... Daniel Jones. <laughs> definitely take Trevor Lawrence. The point is illustrated uh, the first couple of weeks for the Jaguars and the, and the bullish case for them. Uh, we've kind of glossed over, but I think the case for Lawrence, and just to put kind of some perspective, is when I say he was a generational prospect, I mean like he's actually generational in the sense that everyone knew he was going to be the first overall pick from the second freshman yeah. in college. Really, yeah. we haven't seen since Andrew Luck. Um, and I think if you kind of go back to some of the previous slides, uh, and see just how awful the Jaguars team was. I mean, their like mean spread uh, was barely positive in in one game, uh, and then they had two others, including week eight, uh, week eighteen without uh, Urban Myers. The organization was a train wreck last year, <laughs> an absolute train wreck. Uh, I don't think we can take anything away from that previous season, uh, and we should really put stock in the fact that Lawrence was a generational prospect, and there is a real outcome of him uh, playing up to that potential. Just to kind of put a period on how bad actually they were last year. I mean, look at these max deficits. Yeah. 27, like 16, 18, 24, 17, 27, 18, 30, 20, 14, 47. There was only one game that they never were trailing in, and it was versus the Colts in week 18. <laughs> Again, like you said, they were they were preparing for that game all year. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> that is that is truly a brutal schedule after the Giants, though. Broncos, Raiders, and Chiefs, then Ravens. This is welcoming, I feel like. Yeah. This is certainly a respite from the, the front half. I just want to go back to something you said earlier, uh, kind of that if the Jaguars are going to go over their win total, it's going to be because of their defense. Um, and I think that's just some important context here. Uh, the Jaguars forced nine turnovers last year, which is by far the worst. <laughs> yeah, by, far, by far, by far, by <laughs> far. Uh, like you could say that that's like uh, a scheme thing. They weren't aggressive more likely than not. That's kind of just random. Uh, and that those are a lot of points over the course of a season that add up, uh, which even from a baseline of where they were last year, just add in some general turnover luck. Uh, and they should be better on defense. I think you're, you're really onto something there. No, that's another great point as just the likelihood of, yeah, them potentially just being having less bad luck uh, this year when it comes to the, Right fumbles kind of bouncing their way, dropped interceptions. Yep. So yes, I mean, hey, our model loves the Jags. Again, it's only the second bet that it's made thus far, so I'll trust it. So let's go into the Titans. Nine and a half was going into 2021. 
Again, I wanted to fade the Titans last year, and they uh, certainly outperformed expectations. This is one of the wilder kind of 2021 power ranking volatility charts. Bottomed in week two, and then it was pretty much just straight up all the way up until week 11 when they had that really bizarre loss to the Texans. <laughs> and then had a little bit of a, of a tough go of it, kind of bleeding into week 16 and then bounced back. Ended up being, again, going 12 and five, getting the number one seed uh, in the AFC. Uh, went 10 and seven against the spread. Made a $100 uh, unit better, almost 1200 bucks to really kind of showcase how low uh, or tepid uh, expectations were for the Titans on a game-to-game -game basis. And certainly they had some really big wins uh, where they certainly weren't expected to, to win those. I mean, I'm looking specifically at this sequence of games here. Uh, Bills, Chiefs, Colts, Rams. Winning all, covering versus all, underdogs in all. You know, that's and that's when people were really starting to buy, you know, hyping the Titans at that point because... You're ascending by the time you get to mid-season. They've already beat some of the toughest teams on their schedule at that point. But I just want to go uh, back to the power rankings. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, to cheat a little bit, uh, because I, I have the data. Uh, this is just using 538s here. Uh, they were actually the most bullish of any of the teams. Uh, and we kind of see towards about week 15, 16, if you look at some of the other media outlets, like Football Outsiders, they were ranked at 20th. Uh, PFF had them at 13th. ESPN had them at 17th, and they kind of remained stagnant there. So this is really a team that was extremely volatile. Uh, and considering most of the teams we've, we've uh, been through on these streams have really kind of remained the same. Uh, and the, the, the y-axis is pretty small, uh, but it's, it's a massive, massive range for the Titans last year. I think increased the volatility is because there are so many moving pieces on this roster. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost speaks to your point that uh, the statisticians kind of left shaking his head, uh, saying this team shouldn't be good, this team shouldn't be good, but they keep on winning. Yes. I think another good interesting observation, too, is like to not overreact to week one. Getting yeah, blown definitely. out to the cards, 38-13, to 13, as field goal favorite. Uh, and look at, I mean, they just, they plummeted after that one game. And this was probably the biggest single week move that we saw all season. It was just after one game. So they were ranked around 10th, 11th, dropped all the way down to 16th. And then that was the bottom. That was the bottom for them. And just kind of speaks volumes to try not to overreact too much to, you know, a single game performance, much less that single game performance is in week one. So here again, a little bit more granular detail on some of these games, kind of looking through it. Again, Tannehill got like a really bad kind of rep, but really only had a handful of bad games when i think of a quarterback that's like eh, okay like the average like i wouldn't mind him on my team like i think of ryan Tannehill. <laughs> yeah i'm just looking at this too again like just a lot of numbers that speak to the volatility of this team specifically last year so i'm looking like even at uh in week 18 versus uh the texans all right they ended up winning by three but they were up by three touchdowns they're up by 14 versus the saints ended up winning by two were up by nine versus the jets ended up losing by three not just volatile on a week by week basis but volatile even intra game and i'm looking just two at the contest pick rank 
which kind of gives you a proxy of how hot or cold the market is on that team from a betting perspective on a week by week basis. So we could see kind of mid season, they were very popular. So fourth ranked, second rank, ninth rank, second rank, and, and they won actually most of those games. So when the market was high in them, you know, they were actually covering then started to cool as some of those injuries built up. Uh, okay, so off-season changes, uh, of course, sign, uh, drafted Traylon Burks, signed Robert Woods, uh, added Austin Hooper, lost A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, of course, are top two wideouts, uh, are only bringing six starters back, lost some people on the offensive line as well, uh, and bringing nine back on the defense, which was certainly one of their strengths, certainly in the back half of the season. A lot of noise around Traylon Burks, like super negative reports or super positive reports. Very difficult to replace AJ Brown. Robert Woods is getting long in the tooth. I think it's like maybe his 10th or 11th year. Yeah, and I was gonna say coming, coming off a bad injury. Yeah, that's a good point. It cannot be overstated enough how important AJ Brown was to this team last year. Like 90% of their expected points added uh, when they went back to throw were, were AJ Brown. That's the entirety of their offense. Robert Woods is uncertain to play week one, and it's a huge loss to this offense. They're, they're going to need to have some sort of production uh, in the passing game, and who's going to go to? Going into 2022, again, win total futures at nine, win division uh, to win the division plus 160, to make the playoffs minus 110. So it seems like locking in, you know, some sort of wild card berth there, if not the division, which is quite surprising. The team is favored in only two non-division games. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, and one of them is the Cowboys, which I'm frankly shocked about. They are not getting they're not getting a ton of respect. Mark is basically saying, okay, we know that the Titans don't project to be very good. But at the same time, we expect the Titans to kind of be good because they've won in the past. But if we're really breaking it down game by game, uh, their team has really lost this step. Uh, and I think kind of this is the time to say they were good in the past, but the past is not necessarily indicative of future performance. And now is really the time to, to jump off. The other thing is here is is the there's no wild card right coming out of this division. Yeah, no, so... they're, they're, not, they're not getting they're not getting two teams in. Absolutely not. <laughs> the, the wild card is coming from the AFC West. Yeah, or the AFC East. They could uh, they could both North, come from the AFC West. We haven't we haven't previewed the North yet, but I mean I'm really cold on uh, on the North, uh, especially with the Browns kind of falling apart. And again, I'm not a big fan uh, of the Ravens, which the Ravens will always be. Actually, it will be good to add, to add Monty to this discussion as because as we talked about uh, on our last season preview, uh, Joe, who will be showing up from time to time as well, he and I see eye to eye that Lamar Jackson is a joke, uh, whereas Monty is on the other side of that argument. <laughs> my my number one Lamar Jackson defense is how many bad quarterbacks have ever won MVP and how many of those have been unanimous. Mike Trump. I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> that would be your homework for the next part, though. That was a very bizarre. That was like that was like yeah. a Warriors seventy-three and nine. Like <laughs> no one's catching up to him. But again, like the seventy-three and nine Warriors, they didn't win a championship. Yeah, it didn't it pay wasn't off. Wasn't sustainable. And then again, it wasn't repeatable ever since. So teams did. Anyway, we'll have more debates on that. <laughs> The, the, the AFC South is so bad. We're going to debate the AFC North. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right. So Colts, uh, again, favored. I feel like they're favorites to win the division every year. And as I mentioned in the open, they haven't won the divisions in 2014. 
Uh, so continually disappointing those very elevated expectations. Had a, had high expectations when they had brought in Philip Rivers, and then certainly had high expectations last year. Even though again there was some skepticism around Carson Wentz, like there is this year, but even even more so this yeah. year. Uh, but again, they traded like what? I mean, at least one number one pick for him uh, last yeah. year. So they're certainly invested in him and bailed after one uh, after one year and i feel like it's it really comes down to this last game versus the jags i feel like everything about the colts i think carson wentz entire career almost yeah has been defined by look, this game look, obviously yeah horrible horrible look but yeah that's something that almost regardless of what he does now like he's viewed through that prism of week 18. and basically this entire season is carson wentz's to blame oh yeah that's kind of like the narrative yeah. He, they scapegoated him hard and you know even if you even if you believe he deserved a lion's share of the criticism it's just we want to make an investment in here and then you don't even give it a chance to really play out yeah i think that's a great point something i love about this volatility chart is we can almost actually tell the narrative we've just illustrated through the, this trend line which is that the colts start off pretty poorly uh, and they actually finish the season really strong so if you're a better or the people who are uh, the general sentiment that's comprising this analysis, and it doesn't go uh, the way you're kind of predicting, you're going to place the blame on the quarterback. You're going to yeah. say, uh, we thought this team was actually a, a top five, top six team. They lost to the 32nd best team. And like, who, who are you going to blame? You're going to blame the quarterback, right? Instead of saying, kind of, we were wrong. Uh, our analysis was maybe a little off. It's the quarterback's fault. Just like anything, when you're kind of meeting somebody, like a very bad first impression and first <laughs> impressions kind of last, and then certainly how you leave the conversation. And I feel like, so these are like the two huge sticking points that are actually causing a distortion of Carson Wentz. If we're saying that this wasn't just Carson Wentz, that means it was something else as well, that yeah. there's cracks kind of elsewhere on this team. That means that why they don't justify such kind of elevated uh, expectations as we kind of go in, into into to 2022. But again, there were some like impressive games that you know we see here. This one, you know, they were like what, like really beating up on Baltimore and then lost that one in the final kind of minutes. Yeah. Blew out <laughs> Buffalo, beat the Patriots by ten. They hung, they hung in there damn good with the Bucks. That's right. Late in the year. Wow, I, I don't even really remember this, but really, I mean, got all the way up to about fourth. Four, yeah, that that, that was one of the, that was an impressive loss. Actually, you make a good point too, Judah. Around, I mean, so they they had to dig themselves out of an zero and three hole, like right off the bat. One and and so one and four after Baltimore, and so start off, you know, really sluggish, and then yeah, I mean, this team actually, you know, kind of was playing their best football near the end of the season. They just had to dig themselves out of the hole and then, you know, kind of finish with a game that they needed to win and then just, right. just didn't. But it was that start and end that really, really hurt them. I mean, look at this, man, were they popular team from a betting perspective. Top five pick for eight weeks <laughs> out, out of the season. So the betting market was certainly on top of them. And just another point to highlight around how strong their midseason was, was look at some of these max leads it looks like almost in every every single game mid-season they had at least a two score a double lead. digit lead yeah. yeah and again they ended up giving up some of them and losing to the titans after having a 14 point lead losing to the ravens after having a 19 point lead, squeaking out some uh after having a big league jags had a 17 point league only won by six 
had a 10 point lead to the, to the Bucks, as we talked about, ended up losing that one. Where it was up by 20 versus the Patriots, just ended up one by 10. So yeah, some a lot of like intra-game volatility. So of course the offseason changes, obviously led by Matt Ryan. Also signed, you know, Stefan Gilmore, again a little bit old. And then Yannick Ngakwe, certainly a, a rushing the passer specialist. Yeah, uh, which they, that was certainly a big weakness of theirs last year as well. Yeah, so I was gonna say they like, they absolutely need pass rushers. They like it felt like every Colts game I watched, they weren't they weren't even breathing on any quarterback. <laughs> yeah. First off, this is certainly the least continuity of any team we've seen. Yes. Lots and yeah. lots of changes. Uh, and also they, they lost their defensive coordinator to, to your bears. bears. And I think he's actually one of the more underrated defensive coordinators in the league. Uh, the team played a ton of zone. They were top 10 in zone rate. Uh, and that's kind of a question mark. And they lost basically all of their secondary guys. And the ones they did return, uh, Isaiah Oliver and some of the coverage stuff that I'm doing, this is the second worst corner in all of football. Hmm. Uh, Besides Bryson Jackson, he was the bottom 15 guy. So a lot of questions in the secondary. It's a new unit in a new scheme. Very uncertain. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and how good is is this wide receiver group? I, mean, I, I like number one. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I, I do like Michael Pittman. Um, Paris Campbell showed Paris flashes, Campbell. but he always gets hurt. Yeah, he's he's like a Percy Harvin type. And then, I mean, Alec Pierce, potential rookie from Cincinnati. I think he's going to be a big part of what they're going to try to do because like we said like the guys they have behind michael Pittman are just yeah because uh, they have no option they have no yeah, other choice to they're just very blah it's going to be a ton of jonathan taylor and then yeah hopefully one of those guys that we just named can do their fair share next to michael Pittman. yeah and then again matt, matt ryan versus an otherwise again uh, an offensive line that isn't nearly as good as you know kind of we think it is and yeah again just looking at the overall continuity of this team from an offense and defensive perspective i mean basically the stars are cut in half so moving on to 2022, again, expected to win 10 games. Division odds, minus 120. Odds to make the playoffs, apparently a slam dunk at minus 175. To win the Super Bowl, plus 2,500. Pythag 2.0 model does not like them. Third easiest schedule. So that's the opening. That's the opening. Net rest, minus five days, mean spread around two points. Betters are really... I just saw a tweet uh, earlier this week from Action Network that the uh, Colts are actually the most bet on the team to win the Super Bowl. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, even if they make the playoffs, I don't like them beating any AFC West team. Yeah, because I mean, the, this easiest schedule, the proxy to play that is not to win the Super Bowl. It's right, it's just to get to the playoffs. Or to win the division. <laughs> uh, where you better have a good thesis on this team actually being good as opposed to just looking at their schedule. Yeah. I'm sure it looks easy now, uh, but we really have no idea. Like, what's the spread going to be in, in week 13 against the Cowboys? I can assure you it's not going to be what it's less than here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Strength of schedule is, yeah, based on 32 narratives all staying intact. I think another good point that we've actually kind of been talking about, but it's even reflected in these spreads, which is, I mean, they play the AFC West and they're an underdog in every single game. Every, yep. <laughs> and this is the, ostensibly the best team yeah. in, the, in the division, uh, but yet, you know, meaningful underdogs, even an underdog well, look, at home versus. And look how many, I mean, look how many pu even pushes there are like Titans, Pats and Vikings. That's all. They're all coin flips. Yeah. And I think kind of the bets that you guys talked about, even at the beginning, kind of as we've walked through these teams have only really strengthened those theses. All right. Good stuff, guys. Uh, that wraps up our 2022 market outlook for the AFC South. Our, one of our favorite bets is kind of leaning a little bit over the Texans, certainly going under 
on the Titans. And then our Pythag 2.0 model likes the Jags. Jaguars division. Six and a half. Ooh, and, plus, and, and Duke's throwing in a bonus. <laughs> we've, we've talked about how much we uh, are, are underselling the Titans. I certainly am. The Colts seems to at least be more of a bearish and bullish take. Pythag 2.0 likes the Jaguars. I certainly like the Jaguars. Bet them plus 800 to win the division. You're, you're the Jaguar. That's right. He's the Jaguar. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. That's the closing bell. See you next week.